Our first reading this evening is from Revelation, the seventh chapter. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulon, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the fifth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. In the name of our Lord Jesus, amen. Good to see everyone here today. And what a beautiful fall day it was for us to enjoy and I sure love the uh, fall season, the changing of the seasons. Not just out there in nature, but the changing of the church season. 
We're coming to the end of the Pentecost season as we come to the end of October, the beginning of November. We're in the last, last weeks, the last Sundays of this important season, the season really of the church and the life of Jesus Christ in the church. One of the important festivals at this time of the year is All Saints Day, traditionally celebrated on November the 1st, but because I like it so much and others do too, we want to remember it as well on this Sunday. So in my message today, we're going to be looking at some questions. What is a saint? And why is it important for us to remember some of the saints, especially those who suffered and gave their lives for their faith in Christ? And then thirdly, I want to talk about what it means for us to suffer. In fact, why do we sometimes suffer as Christians? I'd ask you to open up your Bibles. If you brought a Bible, great. If you didn't, please open up one of the pew Bibles that are underneath the pews. We're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 4. This is a tremendous chapter. We're not only going to be looking at this chapter, but a few other verses in this tremendous letter of 1 Peter. Really a letter written to all the saints, to all people who may be facing persecution, or to at least give us an understanding of the role of persecution in the Christian life. So as you're turning to that, and uh, eyes falling there on that fourth chapter, let me begin by answering that first question, what is a saint? So in the Bible, the word saint simply translates the two words, holy one. So saints are holy ones. And in the Bible, all Christians are called holy ones or saints. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul said that we were alienated from God and that we were caught up in evil deeds. But then he goes on to say that we were reconciled to God through Christ in order that we might be holy and blameless before him. If you turn a couple of pages to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, but, he, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, Peter says that we are a holy nation and we are made holy by the mercy of God. Now, it's true that as Christians living this side of heaven, we don't live perfectly holy lives. We still struggle with our sins. So what's the difference between a Christian and one who is not a Christian when it comes to holiness and sin? The answer there is found in 1 Peter 2, verse 24. Christians, the holy ones, as the Bible calls them, are those who believe this verse. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. There's the difference. We are those who have died to sin. That's what it means to repent. But those who don't repent are living in those sins. And that's the great difference between the two. So why do we remember those who have gone before us as saints and holy ones especially those who suffered and those who even died for their faith. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9. Uh, Resist him firm in your faith, that is the devil, 
Why? Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. We remember those who suffer to prepare us for the possibility of our suffering. And as the book of Hebrews said, and we just sang in our worship already this morning, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses as we see that that they look to Christ to get them through their troubles, we also know that God will get us through our troubles as well. Now, I don't know why it is. I preached a message about this a few weeks ago in our midweek midweek worship service about why, I don't know why it is, but most people who have ever lived on this earth have rejected God. Uh, It begins in the very first family of Adam and Eve when their son Abel was killed by his brother Cain and he was killed for the very reason that he feared and loved and trusted in God. So Abel is really the first of the martyrs. And there were many after that and the whole Bible history is a story of the majority turning away from God and a minority or a remnant that believed in God. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and broad is the way, and there are many who go in by it. But narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way that leads to life, and there are few who find it. So in all the history of this world, most have turned against God. And yet, in the midst of all of that, God has raised up His faithful ones, His holy ones. Here are some names that are good for us to remember. Seth, Noah, Job, Abraham, Moses, Joshua, Elijah, Elisha, David, Daniel, Mary, Joseph, and all the disciples, John the Baptist, and John the Apostle, in our reading today, shared with us a vision of heaven in which he saw thousands and thousands of saints, those whose robes were washed in the blood of Jesus. Their sins were forgiven. The New Testament mentions Stephen and James. And in the early church, the list goes on and on. Polycarp and Justin Martyr and Perpetua and Felicitas, Sebastian, Agnes and Cyprian. In fact, the names of the martyrs grew so long that it became impossible to remember each one of them on a certain day, hence All Saints Day, a day to kind of catch up on all of them. The early Christians, and even today, Christians are in great awe for those who give their lives for their faith. Sometimes in the past that led to problems. Their relics, their bones, were actually venerated. And people had a misunderstanding about that, thinking that that would somehow relieve uh, the punishments of God against their sins. It was a mistake to go in that direction, but it shows the good intentions and the high value that people placed on the saints and on the martyrs. So much value did they place on them that they... They wrongly, but they almost thought that they actually could almost bring them forgiveness themselves. I would encourage you to learn about the modern-day saints. 
and those who are still to this day suffering for their faith in Christ. One little book that I would highly recommend for everyone to read is by Pastor Richard Wormbrand titled Tortured for Christ. He was tortured in Romanian prisons under the communist regime there. And you will be shocked to hear about the sufferings of those people in those prisons. But you will be equally shocked, equally shocked, when you hear of their joy and of their rejoicing. And that's what brings us to 1 Peter chapter 4. Look at verse 13. But rejoice. It was the same thing Jesus said in the gospel lesson from the Beatitudes. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. We rejoice because we are part of the suffering of Christ. And that leads us into that third question, and the one I want to spend a little more time on, and that is, what about our suffering as Christians and of other Christians? Obviously, some Christians suffer way more than others, but what about suffering as the people of God in general? Why? Why is it important to us? How does the Bible explain it to us? And especially Peter in this fourth chapter. Well, first of all, it shows to us and to all the world the reality of good and evil. Of also the reality of God's mercy and God's wrath. You see, those who want to cancel God, as I said, historically, that has always been the majority. They do so because they want to think of themselves as gods. To be able to define good and evil so as to make room for their pleasures and their own desires. Peter mentions that. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 3. The time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. Look down now at verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Christians have been mocked in the past and persecuted and are so today for many different reasons. I hear from you accounts of your own kinds of uh, soft persecutions, I would call it. Certainly not to the point of shedding blood, 
as we read about in these passages. But I hear about people who feel a real and palpable chill in the workplace because they're not allowed to talk about things moral. There is a certain understanding that you do not bring up certain subjects, especially if you're in the minority of moral beliefs. It's a tragic thing that is only increasing, and I'm sure that there will be even people losing their jobs, because eventually it's, it's not just that you can't talk about it, but you're going to be forced to sign documents and to indicate your affirmation of morality by majority. That's really going on in the world today. Not morality based on the Bible, but morality based on what most of the people in the world think is okay. Remember I said, historically throughout all the world, most have turned from God, and therefore, of course, they think of all kinds of things that in their eyes and minds are okay. In our colleges, uh, I just received a phone call today, in fact, from a concerned parent about certain college students who are obviously getting a, a wildly one-sided point of view when it comes to topics of the Bible and of the Christian faith. All of us can tell by watching movies and television shows how the majority of Christians in those settings are often portrayed as foolish, ignorant, and even hateful. In the realm of politics, people use the ideas of freedom to conceal their own religious views. I wrote letters not long ago last spring to both of our senators because I was concerned about changes in our Department of Education in the state, uh, in the way they train teachers and are forcing them to bring up this, what I will call, uh, the new uh, morality of the majority in the classroom itself, talking about alternate lifestyles and alternate ways to look at marriage and so on and so forth. Well, I had one simple question for both of our senators, and I asked, could a teacher in a typical classroom, in a public school, mention what the Bible says about marriage as an option, not forcing it upon anyone, but simply recognizing the fact that there are some who don't agree with this moral majority, the new moral majority of today. Well, I didn't get a response from one of the sinners, but I did get a response from the other, who basically told me, that if I disagree with this approach, then I'm the bigot. Then I'm the one who's the racist. I'm the one who is the mean person. That is simply a clever way of shit saying, my morality trumps your morality no matter what. Those are four ways. One other that is incredibly strong and growing today is what's happening in the social media platforms where people have the freedom to blast out all kinds of opinions about faith and morality, but if you voice Christian and biblical values of morality, you might be flagged or demonetized or canceled altogether. 
So Peter says in chapter 4, verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. I don't know why most choose evil. That is a mystery that we may never understand. But the difference between good and evil is no mystery at all. It's clearly presented to us in God's Word. In fact, Paul tells us it's written on our hearts. Everybody knows deep down the real difference between good and evil. They just, many of them, the majority of them, simply do not want to recognize it. And Peter says persecution happens because really, that's the beginning of God's judgment upon evil in this world. And when we are persecuted for what we believe to be good and to practice it, we are just seeing the beginnings, the beginnings of God's judgment upon all of these things. And we should be thankful that we go through these kinds of persecutions because they are nothing compared to the wrath and the judgment of God that will fall upon those who have rejected Him and His Word. Peter's words to us are words of encouragement. He affirms to us that persecution shows the reality and the difference between good and evil. It is, as he said, a kind of test. It comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. No, it's not strange at all. There's good and there's evil in the world. And if you choose the good, prepare yourself for the persecution. But ultimately, you'll see the judgment of God. But the good news is that we have been pardoned from that judgment. We may have to go through persecution for a time, but God's judgment is forever. And while we are suffering in any way, we are His witnesses. This is what the word martyr means. Literally means a witness. Because so many Christians were put to death for their witness, gradually the word came to mean someone who dies. But we are, in many ways, the last hope for those who are still to be saved in this world. And so I want to end by looking again very closely at the very last verse. And we'll conclude with this. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. That is what we do. And we sing that beautiful hymn that we just sang, Alabare mi Signor. I will praise the Lord. Amen. We write.